You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back. This is season four, episode four, an interview with Daniel K. Isaac. Thesis on Joan is a podcast dedicated to amplifying voices from the LGBTQ plus community in the New York performing arts scene and examining the industry from a queer perspective. Join us as we sit down with groundbreaking theater folks, both on stage and behind the curtain. For many queers, theater has been an escape, and this podcast looks to have open conversations on where we've come from and where we're headed as a community while queering the canon along the way. Today, we are so excited to welcome to the podcast, Daniel K. Isaac. Daniel is an alumnus of Space on Rider Farm, MTC's Groundworks Lab, Page 73's Interstate 73, Ensemble Studio Theater's Young Blood, and a Lambda Literary Playwright Fellow. As a playwright, he made his debut with Once Upon a Korean Time with Ma Yi Theater. As an actor, Isaac's credits include You Will Get Sick at Roundabout Theater Company, The Chinese Lady at Ma Yi, The Public, Barrington Stage, and included a Drama Desk nomination, You Never Touch the Dirt at Club Thumb, The Gentleman Caller at Abington, Sagittarius Ponderosa at Netco, Underland at 59 East 59th, Anna Nicole the Opera at BAM. Regional credits include The Ballad of Little Joe at Two River, Miss Electricity at La Jolla Playhouse. Film and TV include seven seasons as Ben Kim on Billions on Showtime, The Drummer opposite Danny Glover, The Expecting on Quibi, Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, The Deuce Crashing, Too Big to Fail on HBO, Money Monster, The Jim Gaffigan Show, Person of Interest, and Jeremy on the other two. Upcoming includes Plan B, Dirty Rhetoric, training at USCD and BADA. You can check out more about Daniel at danielkisaac.com. Without further ado, here's our interview. We always start our podcast by asking our guests to share their name, pronouns, and anything else you'd like to share about how you identify. Okay. My name is Daniel K. Isaac. I use he, him, his pronouns. I am queer, Korean-American, Sagittarius, born in the year of the dragon, lactose intolerant, and an Eagle Scout. How's that? That's great. Okay, good. (laughs) 
Thanks for sharing. Uh, so based on our social media stalking, it seems like, uh, the, the, you will get sick cast and creative team that you did last fall really became like a family. Uh, yeah. can you tell us more about what it was like to collaborate with that team? I love them so much. I, I hadn't had the honor of working with any of them before. Is that true? Now it feels like we've gone to the trenches together. Mm, Kimie, maybe Kimie from Dots, the scenic design team. Mm. But otherwise, I hadn't worked with anyone. Is that true? I think that's true. <laughs> and and now I I think of them as family. It's It's so special, this magical and absurd and crazy thing we do in theater of of being complete strangers and then saying here are my deepest and darkest secrets and my <laughs> most vulnerable of vulnerabilities i place them in your hands of trust and here we go want to be a family <laughs> and and when it ends it's so devastating but in the act of creation and on the journey it, there's nothing like it yeah i feel like watching or looking at your post from like the closing weekend was like <laughs> I also felt uh, like a an lot act of, like, of depression. This is so sad. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's about to have a major dark chapter following this closing. <laughs> what, whatever gave that away? <laughs> and the holidays. Ooh, just oh. great timing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we love to see it. We were just talking about um, how, like, after seeing the show, we both had experiences in our own lives where, like. You know, I got really sick over Christmas. Mm. Harrow was dealing with. You can tell Daniel more about. I just your sprained thing. my ankle, like twi- no. yeah, and uh, yeah, and I needed someone to like. I needed to pay someone to walk my dog, and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is yeah, it's very mm-hmm. resonant. Yeah, it. like it was comforting yeah. for me to think about the show. I it was like you know oh, as good. as watching the show is like oh this is heavy, this is intense, but it's also hilarious, and I feel like having that like when I was actually sick was so comforting. Oh, good, good. That's what we would hope and dream of, and and Noah Diaz, the playwright, and Sam Pinkleton, and I just and the whole team. We really talked about what different disabilities look like and and linda lavin would always talk about the disabilities that come with age and how we don't think about that and you know i just saw this amazing play called dark disabled stories by ryan j haddad and, and, and just to see how he explores that and and those various characters especially in relation to the mta and accessibility or lack thereof there and and how noah's play really could be this large container for that that's that hopefully and and it sounds like maybe with y'all that that people came with their experiences and could see themselves in it even if it's literally a a person turning into a scarecrow before your <laughs> eyes that it's it's so much more than that or or can contain more than that have the possibility for more and so thank you for sharing what y'all what y'all experienced and went through yeah and now we have to talk about Dark Disabled Stories. Oh, so good. <laughs> One of my favorite things I've seen. Ryan is so funny and wicked smart. And Dickie is so beautiful and, and doing yeah. the ASL next to him and with his sexy and, and haunting monologue. Yeah. And the third, just the way the design is integrated to be accessible. I wish all theater, I mean, that's the example, right? Of If all theater, if all storytelling could be like that. And maintain sense of humor and 
be innovative and exciting. And yeah, I think it just got a bunch of Lortel nominations. I'm, I'm super happy okay. for them. Yeah, and I loved how seamless all the accessibility was, and I, it was like, oh, this could be every show, and mm -hmm. you know, and why isn't it every yeah, show? Of course, there's it's money so and natural. ignorance, but still, let this lead the way, shine a light towards. Let's do more of that, please and thank you. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So we or me have <laughs> been stalking uh your show once upon a korean time since it was streaming during the pandemic we watched the the online version and then wow. we got to see it off broadway too um can you tell us like what first inspired you to weave together korean fairy tales and realistic stories of koreans and korean americans mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i felt like i as a korean american born and raised in california had very little knowledge or training or access to my heritage outside of what could be sort of orally shared with me or that I maybe had in my subconscious from, say, early Korean school classes where you'd learn rudimentary Korean alongside Korean fairy tales or folk tales or stories. And so I had a sense of awareness that upset me that I was so good at, say, Greek and Roman mythology. I could be so well-versed in Shakespeare and Chekhov and Tennessee Williams or, or different translations of Greek tragedies. Why, why would I have preferences in, in that and yet not know, you know, a, a simple folktale, a, a bedtime story, a fairy tale an origin myth that came from what, what should be or what would be my motherland. And, of course, there is Western or American education and, and the myopia we have in, in what we consider to be the necessary or dominant or main characters of storytelling. And, and also an ignorance I carried in myself and... Uh, 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 internalized racism or self-hatred or, or resentment I might have had for chapters of my life that I wanted to undo in researching again and finding curiosity again and interrogating what these stories might be to me today and 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 maybe get to share that journey of of that interrogation and exploration with an audience so that maybe someone else who also doesn't know can know or, or experience for the first time or for the hundredth time. And either way that, that maybe that there would be some magic to share in that all. That's beautiful. I actually, I went to, do you know KQDX, the Korean I queer don't. trans network? No. Um, they're, exactly. yeah, they're a national network that does like community organizing and uh -huh. they host a lot oh, of yeah, events. Do you know them? KQDCon? Yeah. That? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, that like was like the New York contingent, I think, organized that. Yeah. Yeah. But they had an, uh, a Find Your Folks event last night that was mm. online and I went to that and, uh, we were talking about like activities we'd like to do. And I'm like, oh, I'd love to see more like Korean queer theater. And someone asked, like, oh, what's an example of that? And all I could think of was Once Upon a Korean uh, Time. <laughs> and I was trying to think of any others, and I, I really couldn't. I was like, well, there was K-pop, but that wasn't queer. Mm -hmm. um, Did you yeah, ever get so to experience anything Diana O wrote? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. I love them so yeah. much, yes. They are representing for us. For sure. And 
Hansol Jung's play Wolf Play explores some queerness in there, mm-hmm. but more about in the lens of adoption and what happens to this lesbian couple, I guess. But still, you know, queer Korean playwright with um, Mai Theater Company, Soho Rep, and MCC currently running. Yeah. I don't know if that'll, or if they've closed, I think they might have just closed, but maybe um, theaters around the country can produce them. That's true. And who else? Jason Kim, gay writer, behind K-pop, and on Barry, and who knows what other stories he has to tell. There has to be more. There will be more. Yeah. I'll keep writing. For sure. I'll try. (laughs) We need it. And speaking of your writing, um, when you first sat down to write Once Upon a Korean Time, did Mm -hmm. you always imagine it as this like sweeping epic? And Mm. how did you pick the moments to drop in on? Yeah. I... I had this one idea of what if two soldiers in an unnamed war were telling this story about two brothers in the Korean folktale of Hungbu Norbu, this older brother and younger brother, and one is good and one is bad, essentially. One is kind and one is unkind. One has compassion, one doesn't. And and this idea of these guys in the trenches trying to pass the time or trying to survive in in what is a very high stakes scenario what is life and death what is dark and terrible as times of war are and and i thought well maybe this would be the korean war um you know there are various times that korea has been occupied maybe there's something here and and i wrote that scene And I told my mom about it and she said, oh, what if you wrote about comfort women telling the story of Shim Chung, which is this story of a young girl who sacrifices herself as a virgin so that her father, who is blind, may regain his sight. And is there something there because she is sacrificing herself for her family or for a quote unquote greater good? And and there were women who were taken against their will to become comfort women and women who um, actively thought this would be their only opportunity to support their families. And, and that complicated gray area was something I was very interested in, but it was, it was my mom's idea. And for those who don't know, comfort women were, were women in the Korean war and, and that time period, um, especially from Japanese occupation onwards, 1940, in the 1940s, that um, Korean, Japanese, Filipino um, women were taken against their will or voluntarily, and then, of course, many things happened involuntarily um, for Japanese soldiers to um, comfort them. Comfort stations were what they were called. And, and it is a terrible, terrible chapter of history that... Japan for a very long time denied the existence and the use of, and actually the U.S. is also complicit in this, but um, Japan would later apologize after these women would come forward in their 70s, 80s, 90s, and, and, and they would die without, most would die without seeing any justice for this. And, and, and of course, there's still so much sex shame and sex negativity around the world and in religious countries like South Korea and and 
proud countries like South Korea, of course. <laughs> so, so it, my mom offering that example really surprised me and also told me she was in on, on the game of it, on the structure of it. And, mm. and that helped illuminate how to write subsequent, I would call them chapters to live in the sort of fairy tale, folktale book of it all. So I credit my mom for that. Wow. Yeah. That, that, that section of the piece was so impactful. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. So the production used so many design techniques to bring to life, uh, including puppetry, drag, projections. And you had said in an interview that you wrote the play, so it seems, uh, quote, impossible to stage. Uh, <laughs> can you tell us more about collaborating with the design team and to bring the stories to life? Of course. Our director, our fearless leader, Ralph B. Pena, who's the artistic director of Mayi Theatre Company, brought together a team both in the midst of the pandemic to do a digital production of it and for this live production that happened in 2022. And this team truly were magicians. It it could not have been possible without them. I think I had this stubborn thing where I thought, why do I see so many plays without people of culture with certain bodies on stage and certain theater companies getting to produce just giant epic pieces of theater with expensive everything. I I want to write that. And whether or not it'll ever get produced, I will have tried to write the impossible because I believe in, in the most magical theater happening when the when there seems to be the giantest of hurdles to climb. And and I I wanted to believe that that a team could do that. And Ralph and this team of designers truly set about solving the impossible, the the Herculean, the ridiculous. And and they would get mad at me, but they still they still did it. <laughs> and I will <laughs> I will forever, forever be indebted to them. And and Ralph likes to say, you know, we had to teach future audiences, future theater companies, how this can be done, a version mm -hmm. of it. And, and, you know, I still don't have a future production of this on the books anywhere. And, and I hope that it has continued life. But even if not, Yi Nam, who did the projections, just got nominated for a Lortel Award today. And I will, I don't think you're supposed to campaign for awards, but I would campaign <laughs> so hard for her, for what she did on that stage. Amazing. And, and these designers seo did the sets and there there was even more magic in the set that we couldn't even get to and 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 his reveals that he makes you know when like the walls turned around and the korean restaurant appears there it just uh i love him and seo and yi were both born in korea and so that they they also felt like my korean dramaturgs in how they <laughs> they um helped keep me accountable and 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 you know, we, Ralph keeps a, a collaborative environment, and and I think that's where the most the most magic can be summoned in the theater. And Oliver Wasson on the lights, and Fong Nguyen on costumes, and Fabiano Bispo in sound. Just, it was a dream team, and and I would like to believe <laughs> I'll let them speak for themselves someday. I'd like to believe that they had fun doing it. I know that I know that a handful of them did tell me so that that 
they never get to do this or we never get to do this in our community, especially. And so to get to do it, the fact that Maui greenlit this, I think it was their most expensive production to date. Wow. <laughs> and you know, theater doesn't recoup. So it's, it really is. <laughs> I feel forever indebted there that they would take that on and say, yeah, we're going to, we'll, we'll do it all. We'll have puppets. We'll have drag. We'll have giant production value because our community deserves that too. Our audiences deserve that. And we get, we get to tell these stories and we should, and, and hopefully we'll get to continue to. I'd say just from the audience perspective, it felt massive. <laughs> like I've seen other shows in that space and I like had to check myself. I'm like, this is the same theater. Right? <laughs> I've seen other shows. <laughs> yeah. The mama looked real good. They, <laughs> they looked real epic. Yeah. I wish we could have run for a long, long time. Knock on wood, maybe maybe another iteration. Yeah, we hope so too. And we noticed there were some shifts between the digital version mm -hmm. and the onstage version. Mm -hmm. So especially like the short uh, vignette to camera moments. So yeah. can you tell us more about uh, the shift there? Of course. In the digital production, and when I'd first written the script, there was there was this idea of interjections that the actors themselves would interrupt the fairy tales or folk tales to sort of immediately come back to the present and, and discuss what might have been their perspective as Asian Americans, Korean Americans, as queer folk. And, and those, a lot of those were because when I was writing the play and because I, I wanted to live in the oral tradition of these stories. And I also recognized that I, I only knew so much and my access to research. I actually still have this pile of books here that are mostly children's books of Korean folktales because that's what was translated to English or had side by side Korean and English and, and these illustrations that, that really inspired Yi's art, especially. And, um, and I would then ask my Korean and Korean American friends what they remember. Do you remember a favorite folktale or fairy tale from growing up or in general that you can recall? And I would record these conversations and transcribe them and they turned into these monologues. And and I, I Daniel, the playwright, love them. And Ralph, the brilliant director and dramaturg, had to say, I know you love these. We have to cut them because we want this show to be under two hours and we can't put an intermission because the entire reveal of the family tree depends on this momentum. And uh, a young playwright thing is of course in inserting one's own voice. And, you know, I thought I was inserting other people's voices, but it did interrupt the momentum or maybe, maybe in the dig digital version, it was easier to receive, but on stage, I could see the need for a streamline and I don't regret cutting them. I, I just think they live in the DNA differently, you know, and, and one of those, those monologues was the Korean Cinderella story that ended up in the, the final scene. So, so I got to keep a piece of it and, and other ones, maybe I'll, I'll write a book of Koreans fairy tale monologues. I don't know. They'll, they'll come out somewhere else. But, oh, good. Um, but uh, it was it was hard to let go, and I think that's just part of the process of writing and rewriting, and 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 yeah, and new play development. There was a whole scene in a Korean air 
airlines airplane and and there were costumes built and set pieces purchased for this scene that's supposed to take place on an airplane and i had to cutting that was one of you know they say you have to kill your babies you kill your Mm -hmm. darlings and i really ooh, i i massacred an entire scene (laughs) that i don't know they got a refund for i believe it is for the best. <laughs> wow, That's new tough. play development is is first world hard, and I love it, and I'm going to do it again. And just looking back on it, think, yep, you did that. That, mm, mm-hmm. mm. we did it. I hope all those scenes show up, yeah, somewhere else because somewhere I know else. we really yeah. appreciated them. Thanks. Um, so, what was it like? You spoke to this a little bit, but what was it like working with so many other queer Asian folks and bringing the show to life? And then this felt very uh, pointed to me, but how did the queer Korean adoptee support group come about? And totally. how do I join this group? <laughs> <laughs> I think it is truly a, a a piece of my imagination, or maybe I'm manifesting something that should exist. And maybe it does, but I... I don't know of it. I, don't think I know it does. that I, as a, a queer person, try to create queer family inadvertently or vertently. And I I wanted to explore the theme of chosen family. And so this was a way for me to to, to try to manifest that on stage, mm-hmm. you know, see the world that you want, I guess. And and because there was so much darkness that this this family has in their tree i i wanted to give them hope and and light at the end of it that yes we may inherit generational trauma but also generational resilience and survival and not just surviving but thriving that has to also be get passed down right that also has to be something we can claim for ourselves and our future generations i'd like to believe so so that's that's what I wanted to write. In in the digital production, we had Diana O oh and Shannon Tayo, and Chasi also did lights for that. So to have queer Asian bodies in the room, and and also bodies that have experienced Korean adoption, Deborah S. Craig, I want to say, did one of the readings before, mm-hmm. and um, I I had great dramaturgical support. And, you know, there there's an Asian-American theater community. There's a Korean-American theater community. There's also a Korean-American adopted theater community or, or just community in general. And I hope I got to write something for them that they get to feel seen and, and heard. And, and while my adoption story is not a transnet or it's not the same as being adopted from korea i i wanted to shed light on that experience and and where i i had great empathy and where i also relied on on the experiences of my friends and colleagues and and they they helped shape that for sure and i'm i'm indebted to them and and forever thank them for it yeah, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, thank you. I feel like we've been thinking of these questions for like two years since we saw the digital <laughs> production. So it's so wonderful to finally get to ask all of these. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Um, and then jumping over to TV world. So you're currently filming Billions. <laughs> what is it season like? Season seven. To... <laughs> yeah. Season seven. Wow. What is it like to jump between theater and then back to this show that you've been filming for seven seasons? I'm so grateful to Billions because they allowed me to do You Will Get Sick and start shooting season seven at the same time and so i i couldn't believe that they would they would grant me that time and 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 schedule days so i would finish on set in time to go to the theater and do a show or do two shows sometimes and and while they are maybe the most challenging days i've encountered in a long time in my career i I found it so satisfying, so fulfilling to get to do both at the same time. That's such a gift I find and and one I, I didn't take for granted. I, I moved to New York because I love theater and I want to do theater until the day I die. I, I just read, um, what was it? Station 11 recently and an actor yeah. dies on stage in that in the early pages. So that's not a spoiler, but <laughs> I, I thought, yeah, I'll, I, I'd be happy to be doing King Lear on stage and, and just drift off that way. <laughs> anyway, I, I don't want to traumatize other people in that experience, but you know, the hyperbole stands for how much I love theater and why I moved to this city. And, and I've been fortunate enough to work in TV and film, which of course, allows me to have a lifestyle that can afford to do theater because we're still working on getting a livable wage and shout out to my theater company for truly believing in a livable wage and paying their artists as such. And I hope that that continues to happen with other theaters around the country. But I, I know that without, without billions, I wouldn't have been able to do as much theater as I have in the last many, many years in the hiatuses between and and the fact that I got to overlap both to get to do something small and intimate as a camera in your face with micro expressions that can be captured there and then to go and perform in front of hundreds and hundreds of people and still have control and restraint and expression and exploration on just two very different stages because I, I work mostly on a, a set in Greenpoint that is what was formerly Axe Capital and now Prince Capital. It's a two-story office building built inside a warehouse. So I, I feel like in a way I am on a stage as well, just with you know one to three to four cameras in your face or on a crane or all over and in an audience of 
of your colleagues and our amazing background actors and crew who, you know, get their chuckles out early and then have to be quiet. Whereas in an audience, you get the, the immediate feedback and the relationship there. So, yeah, I'll love both forever. And I hope to have the privilege of getting to do both forever or as long as this life will have me. <laughs> so you kind of predicted where we were going. We were going to mm-hmm. ask you like what path you would pick, but it sounds like you'd like to continue. <laughs> the selfish one. The selfish <laughs> path of all of the above. <laughs> yep. I just want to work. Yeah. <laughs> and pay dream. my bills and you know yeah. support my mom and all that so you also have a semi-autobiographical series called according to my mother and that mm-hmm. received a ton of acclaim at film festivals so is there a chance that we folks will be able to see it um more publicly we've tried we can't find it How yeah. I, see I know it? <laughs> it is it is under lock and key it's been in development at various places and you know it in hindsight, it's really wild, or even in the experience of it. Uh, I was developing the pilot with Kathy Yan, this amazing director who did this, um, the last Harlequin movie, Birds of Prey. Oh, and cool. she also directed this incredible, her first feature was called Dead Pigs. And she did an episode of Succession last season. And she's amazing. And we've been working on this pilot. We had been for one iteration of it, of it for over a year, I think. And it it received a rejection from the network the same day as I was getting greenlit to do the play once upon a Korean time oh or gosh. like, I think press was coming out, uh, uh, pre- um, uh, whatever press statement, whatever press release. That's the mm. word I wanted went out the same day. And so then I got all these articles and phone calls and emails and texts the same day I was told we're not moving forward with your pilot or not this iteration of it. So, in that balance of life, or I don't know, a forever um, relationship I have with humility and <laughs> and balance, I guess. Rewriting. I'm trying to rewrite and rewriting this thing, and I hope it sees the light of day someday. But it, it has been in development for a long time, as you say. and And sometimes I'm able to really tap into the comedy beyond the drama and trauma of it. And sometimes it is an ongoing relationship that is just, it still hurts and, and the art is there to heal and also escape from, but that doesn't mean it, it is um, completely innocuous or, or doesn't sting or leave, leave behind bruises. So I think it is an ongoing journey, not one I have given up from, but it is, I think only a trailer lives online because, you know, I think there are various contracts we signed and, and aspirations we have for it to continue to move forward somewhere someday. So I'm, I'm not giving up and I thank you for asking about it and it'll only encourage me to keep, keep trying, trying again. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to see it eventually. I'm sure. Thank you. Thanks. Me too. <laughs> and we love the tagline for it, the hilariously sad, painfully funny. Mm. And we wanted to ask you, how does that show up like across your work? Maybe not just this piece. <laughs> <laughs> I think in our saddest of sad times, we might have the greatest belly aching laughs. And in our most joyous, comedic, 
hilarity. Sometimes you also burst into tears and and feel a pit of despair. I I want to believe from my experience both are true and and they're not meant neither is meant to debilitate you, but but both seem to go hand in hand in my life quite often. I had a commitment ceremony last year with my now ex. So, you know, there's that journey, but to have a commitment ceremony that was one of the most joyous days of my life, but my mom refused to attend mm. both. I had to have space for that. I could experience the joy and also confess to, and sort of speak to the pain of what, of what that was. And so that when some folks, and I, I have nothing against the phrase, it gets better, may believe that to be true also the opposite can be true or multiple things can be true. And so with my mom and I, it may never get better. And also, you know, she, she likes to say she has, what is she? She's 76 now. So she thinks she has four good years left before God takes her to heaven. So time is running out (laughs) and all right, that no pressure to hang out more, (laughs) but let us, let us keep, taking each day as a gift and and seeing if we can relate to one another or be in the same space as one another let alone travel together i offered to fly her out to new york recently because you know we have a bunch of new shows right now and i thought she'd enjoy seeing them Mm -hmm. and she goes you're not in anything right now so why would i come to new york (laughs) i thought well you know it's really great stuff on and off broadway right now and i think you'd really enjoy it and she she says, no, if you're not in it, um, I have no reason to be in that city. I think that's so supportive. And I, I am trying here to, you know, I can't necessarily travel while we're shooting billions. Mm-hmm. I'm sort of landlocked here and especially with COVID precautions and such. And, and she just, um, she won't do it. But I, I might have the opportunity to do a play in Los Angeles. And, and I was talking to her about that and it's in, she lives in Orange County and this would be in LA proper. And she said, well, that's, the, you know, how long that drive is with traffic. I'm still not going to see you oh think, for fuck's God. sake, mom. I'm trying here to yeah. take a contract on the other side of the country to leave the city to that I call you. home to try to spend more time with you. But no, no, it'll always, there will always be the container for both. <laughs> so that, that's my journey with humility, I guess, because she, she taught me that first. Oh, her visit to see your show and your your recording of it on oh, Instagram God. is like yeah. so good. I went back she's, to that post before this trip. interview. So yeah, <laughs> she's a trip. But she came, you know, I, I did three, if not four, I did four theater offerings last year and three of the four had vaccine requirements and she's still unvaccinated and still believes all the conspiracy theories and still sends me weird and obviously fake and manipulated news that says so-and-so died because of getting the vaccine or so-and-so has this illness now because they were vaccinated and there's such extremes that that she believes to be truth and and yet you will get sick she could come see and she she had a very moving experience at it and also she came on closing weekend because i didn't want her jeopardizing any of my castmates or crew with her unvaccinated status let alone myself and i also i it was easier to have her at closing than it would have been at opening and and when 
it was around opening night that I got COVID during another production. And so then I, I was trying not to repeat history there, um, especially with her vulnerable body. And because Linda is 85 years old and I, I wanted to protect her at all costs. And even Linda met my mother and said, she's a character. She's a trip. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, she certainly is. Wow. She saw the show and, and in the show, um, there are different interpretations of what happens at the ending, but some believe that my character dies um, after this journey with sickness. And and my mom said, it's, it's good the show is ending because you can't do this for too long. Mm-hmm. The, this isn't good for your psyche. And I thought, we, we are actors, mom. We are, we are acting up there. But she felt it so deeply that I was dying on stage every oh. single night. Oof. And she cried every single night and, and, and went on that journey. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm glad I got to share it with her. And, and I really, you know, not to, jinx it but to manifest a future i'd love for that show to have more life as well and and to get to be seen on more stages or on you know a bigger stage and and so i would have no problem doing it again and and i i i tried to articulate that to her and what what that meant but you know she can take some things and she can't compute others but she came she showed up you know, she didn't come to the commitment ceremony, but she came to that play. So there's that balance again. Yeah. It's really beautiful that you can hold all those things at once. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, therapy. Lots, <laughs> lots of therapy. Weekly therapy. So you don't hold on to resentment or, or feel <laughs> crippling despair or, or, or anger. And and even if you do, to get to feel it and then move past it. Because, you know, if, she, if whether or not she has a four-year time limit, it... um. There isn't much time, right? If we have learned something from the pandemic or mm-hmm. or just with aging in general and with parents and loss. Hopefully so. she's on the Linda Lavin trajectory. You know? Oh, yeah. So if Linda Lavin can do a downward dog on stage eight shows a week, <laughs> I don't think my mom can. Well, my mom yells at me for not being flexible. So <laughs> you know, Who's the loser here? It's still me. <laughs> Uh, so speaking of possibly an LA show, what, when can we expect to see you either on stage again or your name under mm-hmm. the playwright credits? What's coming up? I have zero idea. <laughs> I am entering a chapter of unknown and uncertainty. And Noah Diaz, the playwright said, I think this is your year of upheaval because I'm going to move. I'm going to wrap on billions in May and I you know, it's, it's wild that we choose this job or or this job chooses us or, or this passion that we have for this industry that says, great, now you start from scratch again. Mm -hmm. And I want to believe there has been some momentum or incremental growth over the years I've had, but I also feel like I am entering the unknown again. And, and so I would love once upon a Korean time to get more life and especially a West coast premiere so that more people can see it there. And I have several other plays that do not have homes and I am cautiously optimistic or speaking this into existence as well, that they'll find a home. And I haven't signed any contracts on this potential project in LA. So I'll report back if that 
happens. Great. Yeah, keep <laughs> us updated. And I'll keep writing according to my mother and I'll keep writing <laughs> these other screenplays I've got and, you know, I'll keep manifesting something. But I really do feel like I am a terrible podcast guest for not being able to say, here's what's next. Other than, know. you know, Billions doesn't have an air date, but Billions season seven will air at some point this year, I imagine. And that'll be 12 episodes, 12 hours coming your way where you can see Ben Kim again. And then and then we'll see what happens. So that'll join me so in my uncertainty. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, um, and if you want to have bourbon sometime, that's, um, that's where I'll be. Bourbon <laughs> and ingesting art and here to support others as I figure out what, what might be next. So this is similar, but like thinking in our, our dream world here, we have a mm-hmm. section called Queering the Canon. Yes. So is there an existing show or role that you would like to queer, either as an actor or maybe something you would like to adapt as a playwright? Whoa. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard on the spot, I know. No pressure. <laughs> something I would like to queer. Only because I saw it recently or not too long ago, I think Hamlet should be queered and done with Asian Americans. So that would be something. Oh, and I thought that about glass and glass menagerie too. You know, Mm -hmm. that, that, that survival mom as an immigrant mom would make so much sense to me. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, you know, queer coded, but could be extra queer, I Mm -hmm. think, and should be. I'm always here about yeah, here for them bumping the queer, right? <laughs> I imagine a white lotus season where they're just all queer instead. I, oh, someone needs, can you write it? Can mm-hmm. someone do mm-hmm. that? Right, right. <laughs> if the critique is on whiteness, I, I'm not, I, I don't want to just give more jobs to white people this, in my writing. Yeah. So, well, the next let's, season's let's, in Thailand, so I'm like, curious uh, and a little uh-huh. trepidatious about yeah. what that's gonna be uh-huh. let us see what happens yeah. there is much to critique there when <laughs> when white bodies go to asia and mm. and and i'll be curious to see how they execute that yeah mm, what else succession but queer mm. like uber rich people but they're like crazy rich asians but the queer version crazy queer asians what is that (laughs) bling empire no they're they're not queer but you know uh, yeah yeah i I would enjoy that you know the first thing i thought of because it's one of my favorite tv shows of all time is pushing daisies did you all ever see that yeah i think it's one of my favorites and i would love a remake of that but the two leads to be romantically gay queer Mm. instead please and thank you i mean that was all queer coding too i've heard Mm -hmm. him speak before and that'd be great Hmm. six feet under is another favorite tv show of mine that had one gay son but michael c hall so good a queer funeral home is that something i want to write Fun home. i don't know fun home oh yeah it's it's already been done okay (laughs) see everything is derivative nothing is original the asian version Uh uh-huh uh-huh yeah i know i have this play that i've been working on set in a liquor store and when i first started writing it kim's convenience came out and i thought fuck they've done it and Choi did it so good and it's so funny and it's a play and it's a tv series but you know what there can be room for more and mine mine centers a lesbian so (sighs) We'll see. Who knows? 
Mm-hmm. Let, let us hope so. Do we need anything? I don't know. Do we want it? I hope people want it. Do we need it? Absolutely. God, I, I want it. We need it. Okay, yeah. great. Two great. people. I, I, yeah. I'm going to write on those fumes. Thank you. <laughs> wow, I don't know why this question was so hard for me. Oh my God, you had so many you answers. You gave us so many answers. Okay, yeah. cool. All right, great. Okay, our next, <laughs> our next session or question is hopefully a little easier. Okay, bring um, it. What is outside of theater, what's your queer culture indulgence? Uh, like books, TV shows, you already mm-hmm. mentioned a bunch mm-hmm. events. Yes. Yeah. Books for sure. I, I try to never read two heterosexuals authors in a row. Is that true? I try not to. <laughs> Sometimes book clubs fuck with that. Mm. But yeah, I, I would, if I had my druthers, I would read LGBTQ plus authors only. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a, like a couple of favorite books or recommendations? Right now. What did I just think of? Go where your brain leads you. Okay. Our <laughs> Eric Thomas here for it. And he has another book coming out this year. Matt Ortile, the groom will keep his name. Uh, um, oh, uh, Memorial by Brian Washington. So good. And his first book of short stories, so Lot. And Brian, um, Brandon Taylor, Real Life. He has another book coming out this year. And okay. What, what else? I I reread less in order to read less is lost recently. Andrew Sean Greer is that right? Andrew Sean Greer, I think so. You think I'd be good at people with three names? I'm in a room <laughs> with my two be read piles, not my room with books I've already oh. read. I'm excited for this adaptation of Red, White, and Royal Blue. That'll yeah. be fun. Mm-hmm. And um. Alexander Chi is my is my compass. So mm-hmm. Edinburgh and How to Write an Autobiographical Novel, both of which are available as audiobooks with yours truly. And Amazing. anything he writes. And yeah, Michael Cunningham, that was one of my favorite authors. I, I've read every single thing he's written. Dysfunctional families, you know, that hits mm-hmm. home for me. <laughs> Anyway, I, I do run away into fiction a lot, and that's an only child, poor only child thing, you know, with books from the library, mm-hmm. and a, a loner thing, and a recharging thing, and a imagination thing, and maybe I want to write a book someday, but but also Please. getting to read or or delve into another art form that I don't have a stake in, whereas when I watch TV, theater, or film, I'm also thinking about the mechanics of it or the business mm-hmm. of it or or a different perspective of it instead of getting lost in it. And I, and I love getting lost in books. This had gay characters. I don't know her sexual orientation whatsoever, but Gabrielle Zevin's Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow is one of my oh, yeah. favorite I'm reading it right now. I've it's ever beautiful. read, and I really oh. hope they adapt it, and I will do all the Botox if they would let me play one of the characters. <laughs> And Who would you want to play? I'd want to play Marks, who's I want Japanese Korean. <laughs> yes, just part of my yes. Ugh, I want that. So I'm just yeah. I came on this podcast just to ask Gabrielle Zevin to let me play Marks and tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. We're gonna oh. we're gonna build that up as much as we can. Thank we'll you. use all our Thanks power. Supposed so <laughs> to manifest this future of mine and all of my uncertainty and upheaval, right? Wow. I have so many books to add to my list now just after your Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Uh, we have a section of the show we call Queer Gibbs where we like to shout out 
either a mutual aid fund, an organization, um, something in the queer community that you'd like more folks to pay attention to or um, give their time or other resources in some way. Hmm. I feel like I'm cheating. Am I outing him? No, I'm not outing him. He's out and proud. Okay. So <laughs> this is cheating and tangential, but brings us full circle. Mayi Theater Company is one of the few Asian American theater companies we have in this country, is one of the only that produces new works only and has a gay, queer, artistic director. So mm-hmm. there, there is my in. You know, I love theater and that, that theater company produced me and continues to support me and uplifts a lot of queer voices. Like Hansel Jung just had a play called Wolf Play and, and she had a play at Mai called Among the Dead that Ralph directed it as well. And so I, I, I look at that and think, all right, here's a lineage of, of queer work having been developed here. You know, because you also have a gay queer artistic director. So yeah. you don't really have an LGBT only theater company in New York city. Is that true? There's the national queer theater and national queer theater. Yes. Breaking the binary theater company too. Yes. So we're getting there. Yeah. You know, when I I studied in San Diego and we had diversionary theater there or, you know, Chicago had about face. And when I moved to New York, I thought, where, where's that theater company where, you know, Rattlestick and Michael Yuri did these series of play readings called the Pride Plays before mm-hmm. and after the pandemic. And I thought, why don't we have this on a regular basis? Mm-hmm. There are so many of us cigarette emojis and LGBTQ plus writers. I just want, I'd be happy seeing only their plays. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's so, <laughs> no, I'm so happy for my straight and cis brethren. But, um, <laughs> I, but, but could I only read LGBTQ plus authors for the rest of my life? Yes. And could I also only see their artwork and, and plays and musicals? Why the fuck not? Hell yeah. So I'll, I'll just keep <laughs> championing that. And, I love uh, that too. Yeah. And All right. finally, how do folks follow you online? At Daniel K. Isaac, I-S-A-A-C, the biblical spelling. (laughs) And I'm on Instagram. And, you know, I stopped tweeting after What's-His-Fuck took over. And and now I wonder what to do with it and if he'll leave. And and would I go back? I'm Mm -hmm. not sure. But, you know, for access for to to immediate news it does do something there and so i feel complicated on it about it but i'm there i'm on instagram and twitter and i have a tiktok but i haven't posted anything but i appreciate tiktok (laughs) (laughs) oh no i'm old yep and i have a website danielkisaac.com that i i sort of made an attempt at updating and <laughs> and you can just you can just dm me it's fine or my ma- my managers for serious inquiries tmt entertainment ian ian at tmtentertainment.net i'm i'm reachable i'm soon to be unemployed let's let's <laughs> let's open up our arms to the universe and see what there is to offer and what i can offer that so <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. It's a, thank you for having me. Yeah, we and thanks for excited. seeing so much of my theater last year. It really means a lot to to have seen you all and to know your your support and championing and and advocacy for our community. It it means more when it comes from the community, right? So thank you. Yeah, 
and we'll always be on the lookout for more and you definitely have an audience here so thank you i really it, that means a lot it's very special thanks for listening if you like please rate and review us and share us with your friends so excited to hear your queer culture recommendations or any of your ideas on how we could queer the canon. You can call us, yes, actually call us and leave us a voicemail at 845-445-9251 or send us an email at thesisonjoan at gmail.com. Until next time, keep it queer. Not that it'd be that hard for y'all to do. <laughs>Backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E. Org, because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.